we do this because they're on now the receiving end of it and they realize how much of each other's egos and hearts they hold in their hands. Because I don't care what your title is, you read your stuff out loud, you might have a moment of fear of what are people going to think. But when, when all you hear is people coming back going, you know what I loved about that? This is so interesting about this, blah, 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 blah. It changes the dynamic of a team. We've all been in the creative business for more than 20 years and love almost everything about it. But we have to admit, there are times when it's a shit show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of the design and marketing business and share ideas and support that get us through the day. And sometimes we'll just shoot the shit. So welcome to the Creative Shit Show. We want to welcome Terry Trespicio to the shit show today. We've known Terry for a long time and we're super excited that she's just recently wrote and published her first book called Unfollow Your Passion. Terry, we want to talk about this with you today along with so much more. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be back with my friends from How Design Live, who I met at the conference, and thank you, yes. Uh, we've known each other for years, and what a wonderful community that we're, we're lucky to be part of. So it's good to be here. Yeah, definitely. Yay. We definitely have some questions for you about why you keep going back to how, why we keep going back to how, but what we really <laughs> want to hear about is... <laughs> One word, hear. Amy. Yeah, I go. Amy, goes. Yes. Amy, Amy Conover. Conover. Yep. Yes. Amen. If, Amy, if Amy was like, I'm running an S&M conference, I'd be like, I think I have something leather. <laughs> <laughs> there is, it weird, is no Is it weird if I would say I'd go to that conference? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'd go I think, to any conference. I'm pretty sure I could find something like for any conference. Let's just do yeah. any conference we can get. Love it. <laughs> that is the truth. So tell us about your new book. Um, I know I've listened to it. I've read it. Oh my There's, God. I have favorite things about it. And, but I want to hear why you talked about not following your passion. There's nothing that excites an author more than being like, I'm going to talk about my book. And everyone's like, click, what else is on TV? Like, I don't want to listen to their book. And I'll tell you this I'm a first time author, a writer my whole life. But like a lot of writers, they dream of having a book. And so I had spent the past couple of years writing, not knowing what kind of book it would be. Uh, I had, back in 2015, given a TEDx talk uh, in St. Louis called Stop Searching for Your Passion. That talk kind of took off. I wouldn't call it viral. People say her viral TEDx. It's I'm gone like, oh, viral over the years. That's called a degenerative disease. It's a viral <laughs> happened quickly. This was more like autoimmune. Like it just kind of kept making itself known over time. But like, you know, this is years ago. And yeah, it has seven and a half million views, but there's people with like 100 million views overnight. That's viral. That's very scary stuff. But I loved that talk. I was very proud of it. I am someone who makes her living as a speaker, so you better believe I was psyched that people see it and then reach out, but I was done with it. I was like, that's cool. What's next? Because I always like to do something new. So I started writing, I thought would be maybe a collection of essays. I don't know. You write and write and write, and then you figure out what shape it takes. Mm -hmm. And when I went to, okay, so long story short, when I, I created a proposal that was a book that was originally called How to Swallow a Button. Because oh. it was based, I know it's a cool name and it's like, ah, but they didn't buy that book. Well, they, they kind of did, but I called it How to Swallow a Button because one of the chapters in the book, which is in now, was about how a little girl I used to play with on my block made me swallow a button, kind of bullied me into swallowing a button. Oh my gosh. 
it was kind of this one piece. I was like, this is what this is about. Because in my mind, it wasn't about passion. I wasn't like, I'm going to write a book seven years later about this talk I did a million years ago. No, I was like, I always felt some shame. This little girl, a bossy girl, and she would say, here, do this, do that. You know, and you kind of like, she's the bully kind of thing. And she, there was a button that came off her bedspread and she said, eat it. And I said, can you eat that? And she said, yeah, you can. It's like candy. And I was like, really? I was like seven, you know. I was like, uh, it looked like candy, but I, I knew in my gut it wasn't candy. Right. And it's <laughs> and hard. Like, it was and hard. And it's not chewy. Like I picked up gum off the street when I was five <laughs> oh and ate it. That but, I, would, I would sooner eat another button than I would pull a gum off a city street. I know. It was, well, I it did was, do it. It was early on, you know. I did bite it. And I remember thinking, even now, how many years later, 30 odd years later, right, uh, that I was ashamed of that and that I had no one to blame but myself. And I thought, this is what actually bothers me. That was a perfect metaphor years later for what bugs me, which is we're given things, ideas, concepts, beliefs, and we're told to swallow them. We're not told why. And then they're in us. Mm. And then we make decisions based on that. Now, luckily, yes. the, button, the button passed. And then you probably shit them very, out. Probably shortly right? after I followed it. And then you it. shit them out. <laughs> right. But bad ideas. Did you ever tell your mom? Oh, my God. I went right home and was like, <laughs> I don't. I never had to play with her again. Once I was being fed inanimate objects, uh, that was the end of that. Inedible. That's kind of a deal closer. <laughs> yeah, that was. But I mean, that's really what, when I looked at the stuff I was writing and the stuff that it was exciting to me and the stuff I thought was relevant, I had a little bit of market research, which was that talk. People mm -hmm. liked the anti, you know, the counter view, counterintuitive view that no, searching for your passion might not be the best way to create meaning. So what is? Well, I didn't know. And that was the journey I set out to do. So basically, I had a book called How to Swallow a Button. I found an agent and I we went to the publisher. We went to a few publishers. Only one called me back. And one said, oh, we love you. We like you. We like this work. But you know, uh, if we're going to sell this, it, it really has to be a self-development, personal development title. And I was like, oh. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay. Because I'd spent my life as a magazine editor writing this kind of stuff. And I thought this would be a new thing. It was creative like, copy oh, for sure. Pushing me back into what I had done, you know, but I was okay. Um, so I swallowed my ego a bit and I was like, that's all right. I can do a book that is self help for all intents and purposes. Um, but feels like me. It feels like something I would do. I don't have to copy paste anyone else's structure. So right. I got to do that. So the book looks like, it looks like I went and did a TED talk and turned around and wrote a book, but there were seven years in between. Wow. of writing and just exploring and not knowing what it was going to be. And I was quite frankly shocked I sold anything. I mean, that was in the spring of 2020 uh, when I hadn't done a lot to do so I could work on right. the book. And then I sold it and then spent the next you know year and a half, two years writing and finishing it. So it's very exciting to me. It's doing well enough for a first-time author and yeah, proud of it. One of the things I love about it is first I got the audio book and it was great until I got the hardcover book. I didn't realize how valuable the book really was because of all the prompts inside. Yeah. It's just as much a workbook as a book filled with great stories and analogies to get you thinking. Thank you for that. Yeah, because I, really was worried, I was worried about the workbook part of it because I was like, oh, but what a lot of people have told me is they read it through or listen through once for the stories yep. and for this stuff. And then they go back and work on it. But this is ideally something you keep nearby and you dip into it once in a while. Right. But the writing was really important because I'm a bit of a writing brat. Like I got an MFA, creative writing. Like I was a poet for many years. Like I wanted it to be really good writing. 
Right. And so that mattered to me. And there had to be a takeaway. There had to be stuff you do. So I incorporated- Well, all the stories help you remember the concepts. That's right. That's the idea. Which is so wonderful. But Karen, to put a to put a pin on this, the whole point of the book is not all about passion. It's about how to find meaning and connection to your work and your life while freeing ourselves from the tyranny of dopey ideas that people have told us all along that we have to do. So one by one, I sort of dismember, deconstruct the ideas that are a bunch of bullshit so that we can get to what actually matters. It's it's quite rebellious, but it doesn't look like a rebellious book. Like if anyone really knew what this was saying, it would be on a burn it list. Like, <laughs> and I was thinking about doing a campaign where I say, burn this book, please put it on a burn book list. It would sell like crazy if someone said, do a, a ban, banned book list, yes. please. I think that <laughs> all authors want that. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it is basically anti-hashtag patriarchy. That's Terry, what did, you narrate, did you narrate the audio book? I did. How did you, I did. I narrated did you find it from that my experience? closet. Did you find that like enjoyable or intimidating? I loved it. And let me tell you, reading the book, and if anyone has a chance to read their own work, self-published or otherwise, read it. Because reading it made me feel connected to and finished with the book. When I read it through, and it takes oh, a long time, a couple of hours, right? A couple of weeks to get it done because the, the producer will only let you read a chapter or two at a time because your voice starts to go. And so mm-hmm. she'd be like, okay, that's enough. It's enough today. I was like, let's just keep going. She's no, no, no take a break. And the feeling though of finishing it and reading out loud, I've now written it and it passed through me out of my mouth. I felt complete and good about it. It felt like more of a finish than anything else. So I recommend doing it if you can. And you can celebrate it, right? I mean, it's just that moment where you get to hear your voice back and you're proud of it. And you're like, damn, I sound good, right? Like I did it. Like I did it. And I also love doing voiceover work. So (laughs) Like I love doing You like doing work. voiceover? Is that what you said? I love doing voiceover work if I can. I do it for clients or for whatever. And I Oh wow, how that, fun. So. Yeah. You yeah. do have a great voice. I said Thank that you. right when she came on. You guys didn't get to hear it, but I was like, Oh, this is the best voice. I Thank can't wait to much. spend an hour with you. Well, the worst would be if you're like, I'd love to listen to this book, but this bitch is horrible to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but her voice. Am I right? <laughs> Karen, you were talking about the prompts in the book, and it just makes me think, you know. Listen, for like the last year, Karen has been, I'm a writer also, um, and Karen has been just really on my case about wanting to sign, you know, up for one of your gateless courses and you're going to love it. You're going to love Karen it. Karen did it. Karen wrote a I ton. Know. Yeah. You well, she, every day she's texting me, you should be here. You should be doing this. And I'm yeah. like, I'd, I'm fine. You know, and I don't know why I was like that, but I definitely just didn't, I just couldn't, you know, bring myself to do it. I'm not sure why, but then- uh, attending your summer camp, I had my first taste of it in, in real life. And maybe you could give us just a, you know, um, some insight into the gateless method. But all I can say is some powerful shit came out of me like during that yes. moment. And I feel like yes. it was, uh, it was something unexpected. It was emotional. I cried. I was like, what am I doing? It's 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm yes. like sobbing in my desk. And I, it, the rest of the week was so weird for me. Cause I just couldn't get it together, you know, no. but I feel like it, it stirred up things that were really powerful. And I think a lot of people could benefit from this, um, from the gateless process. You had a real breakthrough. talking to us about it? Yeah, you had a real breakthrough, it sounds like. It was Um, a big deal. I think that sometimes people 
think that if they come to this like workshop, the series of stuff that I do with this method, that somehow they're going to, there's a fear in what, why would we resist anything? Because Mm -hmm. we're afraid of being criticized or Mm -hmm. realize what we don't know, or we'll be cowed by other people's success, or we'll just, we don't want to face a lack. And the fact is, I will teach craft in that we talk about it in order to like improve our our work, but I'm not telling you how to write. That's not the point. I am trained in a method called the gateless method, which I did not invent. It was created by a woman named Suzanne Kingsbury who created it because she worked with authors. She's an author herself and she was working with authors to help them develop their books and realized they were so hamstrung by their critic, that they couldn't do the work. And if they couldn't do the work, she couldn't help them. So she she was you know, creating this method based also on, not only on them and helping them get past that critic, but also because she herself had experienced it and had had a taste of a kind of workshop where there was no criticism. She was in something like that, a casual writing kind of club that met once a week, and they said there's no criticism in it. She took that and built it into her whole method. Here's wow. the whole point of this. The gateless method is meant to be the gateless gate. It's connected to sort of our ancient, you know, what's built in us as natural storytellers. The idea is that there is no, you know, one person who can write and someone who can't. The idea is creating a space that is critic-free, judgment-free, so that you don't go in afraid of what you'll hear. Because when you're afraid of, you know, I I got an MFA when they, they rip your shit apart. You read and then they whip it to death, you know, like it's terrible. But uh, what we do is you read your work, you write together. We write to a prompt in the moment for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then you share your work out loud. Now you might go, oh my God, it's a rough draft. It's uh, That's all right. You read it anyway. And all you hear is the people in the group feeding back what they loved about it. It's not a coddle fest. It's not just to compliment each other. Oh my God, you're such a good writer. It's here's what works there. Here's what I love about that. There is no criticism, not because we're afraid and we can't handle and we're precious snowflakes, but because when you're in the generative stage of your work, you cannot afford to nip it down to the bud. You must give yourself the place to roam and mm-hmm. we don't do it. And if you anticipate criticism, you actually constrict you know, there's some brain science around this that you, there's hormones and things that are secreted as norepinephrine or something that makes you kind of very self-aware and conscious and anxious. And when we put you in this state and in this environment, we remove that so you can actually open and widen the aperture that allows you to get at your best work. So I kind of feel like people are like, oh, you helped me. I was like, I held the space and I have very specific rules that Suzanne Mm -hmm. created, no disclaiming your work, no criticizing all these things. They're designed to keep it very safe because anyone can say, oh, it's a safe space. What does that even mean? They might mean it's safe for me to shit on you. Like, no, I don't (laughs) like that. It is a weirdly magical space. because It is. And I'm not a wizard. No. But what do you think, Karen? You've done it. Yeah, it's weird. But I think it's the fact that we come into it open-minded, ready to write with no expectations about that hour. No agenda. And I started during the pandemic and I'm terrified about writing. And I was terrified. Never felt like I could do it. First prompt, I wrote something and I was like, holy crap, that's really good. I love that. It was like, wow. And then, you know, I continued for several weeks through the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And reading takes it to the next level. 
because then you oh, hear God. your voice. You're really putting yourself out there. Again, I was terrified. Oh, it's terrible. People wow, are how much do scared. I have to drink to do this? <laughs> oh, Karen, Karen why were you terrified? Is it because, were you terrified, Karen, because you didn't feel you're a good writer? Or that this is a new freedom and you got to experience Correct. that? Or... No. Okay, so, okay. Check, Correct. check. Okay. Check, check. I was terrified because I never even liked to read out loud in school. But then I'm reading words that... That you, you just know, wrote. That you just, I just wrote. wrote. They're freshly hatched. Right. You're also but like, you, where did this come from? Like, that's what I was doing. I was looking was at bizarre. the work. I'm like, where like, did it come where from? Where is this? Like, yeah. you, I think the prompt was something like, it began. And next thing you know, I'm spilling the tea about my whole family history. And I'm like, yeah. what is, why where am I writing from? this? And then right. I'm like, is this the beginning of a book? Like, what did I just yeah. do here? Yeah, that's, and it's that's super powerful. It's unbelievable. It is because- most of our lives, we were taught that when it's time to write something down, you're going to be graded on it. Yeah, write it yeah. down and you might fail. Well, we're right. not taught, and what I'm trying to undo in us is that the page is where you go to explore. And no, you don't have to be a writer. Julia Cameron said, what if there was no such thing as a writer? What if mm -hmm. everyone simply wrote? If you can read and oh, you can no, write no. words down, you can write. You might not choose to make a living as a writer. You might want to make it. It doesn't matter. The point is, if we do not avail ourselves of a page, we're missing an opportunity to know our own minds and to gain mm -hmm. clarity and to, to surprise ourselves like Jamie experienced. Right. And a lot of people do cry in those workshops because they go, oh my God, it's an emotionally, I felt after the workshops, the first time I ever experienced it, I'm telling you, it was post-coital. Like I flew <laughs> out of there. I was yeah. like, yeah, I feel amazing. I just, it's a rush. You feel right. amazing. You feel loved and lovable. There's something about that that feels like, oh, I'm connected to my work. I'm connected to other people because you better believe friendships sprout up quickly when no oh, one's picking yeah. on anyone, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. didn't even think about that because, you know, it was a different kind of environment um, the way that, you know, we were doing it. But it, it I feel like it was... I enjoyed listening to the stories too. I think I oh, learned a so lot fun. from other people's Absolutely. stories. And then and then watching the comments of people connecting was really cool too, where there were certain points of each story that, that you know, multiple people would connect with and feel. Yes. And I think that's how you like maybe, you know, enhance your writing when you're done with the exercise. You're like, yes. oh, I need to focus more on this point, you know? Because the other thing that she said uh, is is just, you know, you can have your 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 spouse or your parents or your you know people in your family your friends that you trust will not give you great feedback um no. they're gonna be like it's great it's so good because they don't want to hurt your feelings or we're also whatever. biased in a lot of ways right they can't yeah, yeah. yeah we, we are trained we train each other to give the kind of feedback that we actually need that mm -hmm. will keep us going to mm -hmm. get, give you momentum and it's it is really wonderful and you meet a lot of great people you know why because douchebags don't tend to want to hang out and tell each other how good their work is. So you, you end up getting some really great people there because the right. douchebags go right away. They don't stick around. Yeah. Justin, you're going to have to try it. Yeah, I know. I was just, I, I, I was waiting for someone to call me a douchebag. So I'm glad that we skimmed over that part. <laughs> well, actually, uh, that's what triggered the thought. Like, yeah. oh yeah, Justin. Uh, you're like douchebags. Who do I know? Yeah. Oh, it's Justin. Let me talk to Justin for a second. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Great for creatives, Justin. Creatives of every stripe. And well, because of the way we talk to each other, it's great for in-house teams because they learn how to give feedback in ways that don't make each other nervous. 
Oh, oh that's interesting. A, that's a great, that's a great. It's thing. actually an off-label use. I go into companies. I've gone into L'Oreal. I went into Google. I've gone into uh, Franklin Templeton. Like companies, they're not trying to write, but I take the workshop in. Yes. How can you use Gateless outside of a writing workshop? I use it everywhere. And here's how I use it. It's like a switchblade. It's like a, this Swiss army knife in my bag. And I, in the beginning when I was trained, I go, what am I going to do? Just run writing retreats? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. That's one use. I've gone into, because obviously I'm a speaker, so I will be invited to do things. I tell people the kinds of workshops I lead. Yes. I will do whatever it was. It was diversity day. It was women's history month. It was all these kinds of uh, things that I would pitch to speak at their event, virtual or in person, whatever. And for instance, L'Oreal, they said, okay, you're going to do this workshop they, you know, there's some issues around, you know, trusting each other and blah, blah, blah. And it's all women in this one workshop. There was like hundreds, some people in there virtually. And we did the same exercise. We're not talking about craft, like how are you going to make this an essay? That's not the point. The point is to get them to write and share it because then mm -hmm. everyone has skin in the game. Yep. And I, I've seen it. I mean, with people who have no interest in writing ever, we do this because it changes how they, they're on now the receiving end of it and they realize how much of each other's egos and hearts they hold in their hands. Because I don't care what your title is, you read your stuff out loud, you might have a moment of fear of what are people mm -hmm. going to think. But when all, well, you hear, when all you hear is people coming back going, you know what I loved about that? This is so interesting about this, blah, 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 blah. It changes the dynamic of a team. So yes. I've been you know, pitching it and sharing it as an in-house corporate tool for creative teams and non-creative teams. I've done oh, it with wonderful. financial advisors. The other thing I do is use it when I have a client, when I do I do brand messaging. I'm kind of like a one-woman shop and I'll pair with different designers and teams like that. But mm -hmm. I go in, I'll spend a half a day with them and we'll do, I'll be like, write about a time when you realized your client understood what you do. <laughs> and they write the stories and I go, tell me the story. They all go around and read. They cry. These are financial advisors. You don't think they're going to cry, but they do. And they share their stories. I take what they say. Here's the other use of it. I now heard their stories. I heard what mattered to them. I heard what resonated with them. I take that and I use it to craft their messaging. And it's That's never wonderful. fails because when I go to present the messaging, they're not like, we don't like that. It's them. It's right? their DNA. I just put it through the machine my brain and gave it back to them. So I used it as a way to get at everyone's brilliance when they go, we don't know what makes us different. I'm like, I will show you what makes you different. <laughs> That's brilliant. Lead them. I love that. Hey, creatives, here's a cool event. Would you like to learn how to create authentic looking consumer packaging mock-ups? Ones you can use to give context to your design or elevate your marketing in e-commerce imagery then you want to check out the Virtual Product Photography Creative Jam on August 17th. You'll find out how to stage a product shot quickly in Adobe Substance 3D Stager and submit it for feedback and prizes. No experience is necessary, and you'll learn how to do this easily. So sign up now to learn and compete at cjam.in backslash virtual photo. You know, Terry, there's there's another part of your career that I find fascinating, and and actually it brings this this writing and and reading out loud kind of together, and that is the fact that you have stand up comedy experience. 
I'd love to know, like, how did you get into that? You know, how does that impact yeah. what you do? Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's probably the thing I think is the scariest. I mean, I'd sooner get on stage in a bath towel in front of 3,000 people and give a talk before I feel relaxed at a club with 20 people in it. Um, I have had people tell me on and off, like, oh, you kind of seem like you you should do stand-up or something, because I, I know how to make people laugh, making people laugh to the same thing. Like, I'm not a joke writer, per se, but I learned to become one, because uh -huh. finally I said, okay, people would say, you should do stand-up. I go, no, I can't do that. You have to be this, and you have to be uh, that, and you have to drink a lot. Or I don't know. I had all these rules about what a comic was. And then I said to myself, why not just take the class? Like, take it and try it. You can't just keep saying you can't do it. And uh, I mean, I wasn't a kid. I was over 40 at the time. And so I enrolled in the Manhattan School of Comedy or whatever. And I took a class. And I, I realized there's no like behind the curtain magic. This is the first day she goes, okay, get up and here's a mic. What you got? <laughs> and then you'd Come try on. some stuff. She'd go, yep. And she'd say, she was a wonderful teacher. She'd be like, okay, so here's why that's funny. Here's what's working. Here's what you should change. Here's what you, it's taking too long to get to the joke. And I was like, this is a craft. You might, yeah. as well, you might as well take a class on writing sonnets. It's that specific. It's That's what works. And beginners always want to yammer on, tell a whole story, when the fact is you cut out 80% of that and there's your joke. So I, loving words, wordplay, I was like, I want to do this again. So I took another class, another. And when you take a class, they give you a show at the end. I mean, you're paying to be there. There, right? I've paid to do comedy more than I've ever been paid, but I was apprenticing myself to that skill mm -hmm. because when you get to get up at Gotham Comedy Club where Seinfeld drops in all the time, you're at a comedy club and you're doing stand-up and wow. uh, you're doing it and it's nerve wracking. You don't have slides. You don't have a freaking <laughs> confidence monitor. I mean, speaking to me is way easier. You get up there, you better remember your jokes. Right. Uh, it's a whole thing. I think it's terrifying, but I've done it enough and felt the rush of that laughter that I can see why people would work at it and work at it. So but what happens I, when you flop, Terry? Like I've what happens when a gate. joke, when a joke yeah, just you, flops? You make a joke at yourself. My very first joke out of the gate was more premise than joke. It didn't mm -hmm. have a punchline. And that's my problem. I assume that someone's going to figure it out. No, you have to write it. And I came out of the gate and I made the joke and no one laughed because I didn't signal them to laugh. They didn't right. know where to laugh. And I said, you know what? Let's start over. I'm going to start with something else. And I moved on to the next joke. And that was fine. But the worst case is that you'll bomb, that people right. won't laugh. And so what? Some right. people leave mad at comics. Some people are just getting up and hitting comics. I mean, like, <laughs> The worst that someone does is not laugh. So what? So I did it over and over. And I was doing bringer shows, which means you have to drag your friends. You have to buy a ticket and buy two drinks. I mean, it's an expensive hobby. Yeah. And I never thought, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a road comic. Uh, no, I don't want to be staying at some horrible motel. I don't want to be up late. That is not my life. But mm -hmm. that skill has served me well. Number one, because I have performed in shows and placed in contests. And I've done some of the work enough to put it in the resume for people who hire speakers. Because mm -hmm. when people look at the speaking chops and they see that you've had some comedy background, they know you know how to hold an audience. So comedy does for speaking what speaking never really did for comedy. No one cares you have a TED Talk uh, when you're at the comedy cellar, whatever. Like, right. Are you funny or not? Do you make me oh, laugh like, or not? We don't yeah. care. Like you could be famous and if you're not funny that night, no one laughs. So, right. but for speaking, it has given me a real edge because having been so terrified in those clubs, when I get on speaking, I have such a, I have loose as a goose up there now mm -hmm. because I'm not as afraid of the speaking audience as I am afraid of the club goers. 
Right. I love I love the humor that you infuse into your speaking too. I've seen you speak a couple of times in front of big audience and oh, I'll take any chance like that. Oh, they're rolling like everybody's laughing, but we're also we're laughing because what you're saying is true. So if you go that's back, why to everyone the, laughs. Yeah, you oh, go back to the unfollow your passion, and you did that a great talk at How, um, and it was just I was every one of us is look. I'm looking around the room, and I'm like, oh my god, this is resonating because all these designers, creatives, marketers, everyone that's in that room has felt the way that you. Yes. you know, projected onto us. And, and it was yep. just, it was really cool to feel that way. It was like being in a big comedy club, but with like a side of, you know, lesson and truth. Well, and other I things. love that. That's yeah. the thing is I like to, to teach too. So just doing fun. the jokes was never enough, but it's also read the room, right? You learn a whole bunch of skills, get cut to the chase, tell the joke. And I think it's, it is really fun. But I also years before that taken several years of improv classes. I am terrified of performing improv. That makes me very nervous to depend on a group and no script. No one knows what their job is. Oh my God, that is a nightmare for me. Um, (laughs) I've been wanting to do that. I I really recommend it. I loved the classes. I loved the work. I don't want to be pressured to make people laugh in improv, but it teaches you about your own instincts. It's play. It really is fun. So those things have definitely informed, um, informed my ability to be comfortable on stage, which is important because I love doing it. I really appreciate that because honestly, um, this is a little secret about me. I've always wanted to do that. And as we were getting ready for you and do and we talked stand up, do the stand up, yeah, or improv. You should take a no, class. It's open I mean, to anyone. Here's the thing, Vaughn. You know, I remember at how he dressed up in a bunny costume, and we had Stefan and I had to stuff him in there, and he was um, super sweaty. And I was afraid uh, he wasn't going to survive. Yeah, I thought he was going to just. <laughs> have a grabber on stage. But anyways, what I really admire about him is he's so good at getting into character. And um, that's one of the things I love about speaking is that. And so I'm grateful you shared that story because I think I'm going to sign up for a stand-up or improv class uh, early next year. I want to I want to try it. Try them both. And here's the thing, Justin, that, that I learned from these top comics who teach. And they said, because I'm into the intellectual side, I want to learn about how it works. One guy said, uh, hey, uh, you don't need a big personality. He goes, I can list you five top comics who have the worst personalities. They're not even naturally funny. They know how to write a joke. Mm-hmm. He's like, anyone can learn how to write a joke. It's called go this way, left turn. Go this way, left turn. If you can surprise someone, you can learn to write a joke. You can do comedy. You don't need to be Chris Rock. You don't need to be big personality. In fact, some of the people get up there are quite introvert, bookish kind of people, and they surprise you. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes you laugh. So Justin, I have no doubt seeing is that you are very comfortable on stage. Um, and you know, you can and put hilarious. fun of yourself and make it, I mean, I, you would love it. Oh, God. And you're hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm hilarious. Hey, speaking of fun. You're a white man and white men dominate comedy. I'm sorry. There's, it's really for white men right now still. Yeah. I was just going to say, bad. speaking of Vaughn, Vaughn, we didn't fire him from the show. Uh, he, he actually <laughs> damn those clients, you know, they get in the way sometimes even when we have the best of intentions. So, you know, we're, we're missing Vaughn today a little bit, but it's just Vaughn's, you know, Got a shit yeah. show of his own going on. <laughs> yeah, got it. Absolutely. But I, I go back to what you just said because I was going to ask you. You know, I, my husband and I have been watching uh, the Gene Smart show Hacks, and I don't know if you've caught it or not. On no, uh, but I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> yes. Okay, but she just first of all, she's amazing, and I forgive me, I don't remember the girl's name that plays the the writer component that comes in, the younger millennial that comes in to help her, and. Um, but the comedic timing and the way that she goes through it. But the story is that she, 
you know, has been through all this trauma as a, as a um, female comic and she's, you know, had to work her way through and she just keeps, you know, putting the work first and going and going and going. And there's this part of the issue where the younger girl is trying to make her, you know, almost feel sorry for her, you know, and she's just like, I was trying to help you. And she's just like, look, man, if I got where I am, I don't need help from, from anybody, you know, like I'm a strong woman and to get where I am, it took, you know, a tremendous amount of effort. Do you, do you still, do you think that there's still, you know, uh, a gap there between male and female comics? I'm just, I'm just curious. Oh my God. I actually, I think, well, remember I'm in a very unique place in the country and the world, mm-hmm. you know, being in Manhattan, you're, you're going to have the most diverse, right? They're right. not all white men, but there's a lot of white men, right? But there's more and more women and more and more women of different, you know, backgrounds and ethnicities and religions. I mean, there's this one guy who gets up and talks about, um, being a Muslim and growing up with a Muslim family. And, and, and one woman who talked about how she tried to, you know, fit into this culture, that culture, it's a different kind of comedy, right? Because, you know, a lot of comics will complain that the audience mm-hmm. is too sensitive. They get too upset by this or that. And like, yeah, read the room. But there is, I mean, I won't say woke comedy because that has like, please, it sounds yeah. like it's not even funny at all. But Tired it is it, funny but... because they take on the taboos. It's always mm-hmm. going to be funny when someone takes on the taboos. Mm-hmm. The problem is if it's only white men taking on all the typical taboos and punching down, that has lost its people. I can tell in the audience, they have lost their taste for it. Right. Um, but challenging the way things are now, I mean, I haven't been to clubs in a while, but I imagine with Roe v. Wade, everything else, I mean, it has set comics aflame. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing spurs that kind of creativity like fury. Yes. And, and and maybe depression. I mean, those two things probably create some of the best comedy in the world. Right. Unfortunately, there's some negative side effects from that. But um, sure. but sure. still, I mean, I believe com- comics are the soothsayers of our generation. We can be mad at what they say and go, that was offensive. But when they say it, you don't forget it. Ricky Gervais is someone who comes to mind. Oh I, used to think, I used to think of him as a sneering asshole. I actually really like him. He's funny. I, I, I love I, him. His new special. I watched him on Jerry Seinfeld's mm-hmm. Comedians in Cars. And I was like, he says, I know what's offensive. I wrote the joke. Yeah. Right. You have to be able to, he's like, I'm not an idiot. Of course we don't want people's rights taken away. But he says the thing that makes you laugh, that it's mm-hmm. a pressure valve. Right. right. The point of comedy is because we can laugh at it, and you're not to feel guilty, but there's so much pressure. And it's the place right. where we can hear the truth and laugh about it or else we're all going to jump out a window. Yeah. Right? I mean, people need to hear things like that, you know, periodically just to, to you know, you, you got to get a little bit of a perspective, you know, and it's, it's more, meant more to women just, though. Definitely yeah. Well, more that's, more I mean, I, I'm glad to hear that, you know, that it's not quite the men's club that maybe well, it was at one point in time. What I mean maybe. by that is you'll at least have one woman in a lineup. Okay. Jeez. Right. <laughs> oh, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. At least one, maybe two. Oh, I mean, man. I just performed, I performed at a friend's birthday party. I was the only female comic. Wow. So you know, yeah, and my friend uh, paid me $22 for that. He said, there, you're a professional comic. I paid you to do it. I love it. Oh, I've been paid. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> Jamie, you should, you should do it. Oh gosh. My humor is just too yeah, dark for it. the world. It's not. The darkest humor <laughs> out there is better. You could do it. Go out darker in Georgia. The better, Jamie. Oh yeah, Lord, I'd get harangued probably. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Town Square. Would be never be the same, you know. Oh, but God. 
That's the rebellion, though. We can still say what we want. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it. I mean, when I was younger, you know, we we talked in an episode pri- prior about like what we would have done, you know, a long time ago. And I think, you know, I was I've always had a flair for the dramatic. And when I was younger, I I would tell my parents, oh, I want to be an actress. I want to go, you know, be an actress. And I just never pursued it because, you know, my parents were always, you know, you're not going to make any money doing that. You're not going to be able to do that. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll be a writer. That'll be much more lucrative. Yeah. <laughs> But I feel like um, it's a missed calling. Like, I feel like I do want to join a community production or something around here at some point in time. Because I feel like, wait, I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, I missed my peak in high school or something. I just didn't. Peak in high school. Jamie, here it is, Jamie. You and I, comedy (laughs) act. You and I. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That would be hilarious. Okay, let's do it. We'll open up for Terry. (laughs) It'll be amazing. It'll have to be a short opening. I only have five minutes of new materials. (laughs) Karen will be our plant. She'll heckle us the whole time. It'll be amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's all she does anyway when we're having drinks. Who's that being in the crowd? Call him Justin a douchebag. Oh, that's Karen. It'll be amazing. Oh, it's Karen. Drunk in the corner. (laughs) Hello. Yes. Me. Would you like to learn how to create authentic-looking consumer packaging mock-ups? Ones you can use to give context to your design or elevate your marketing and e-commerce imagery? Then you want to check out the Virtual Product Photography Creative Jam on August 17th. You'll find out how to stage a product shot quickly in Adobe Substance 3D Stager and submit it for feedback and prizes. No experience is necessary, and you'll learn how to do this easily. So sign up now to learn and compete at cjam.in backslash virtual photo. So if Vaughn Vaughn were here, he wanted to ask you about Martha Stewart. Sure. Ask away. How was it to work for her? I didn't work directly for Martha Stewart. I worked at a magazine that she acquired. And then ultimately that magazine moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was there, but I had met her because I used to live in Boston and go to New York every month or so to be on her show, to present one of the articles in the magazine or the issue, whatever. And so I was kind of doing media stuff. And then when we moved the magazine to New York and I got to come with it, yeah, she was around and I got a kick out of it. I was like, here we are in this airplane hangar of an office and it's this huge space um, called the Starrett Lehigh Building. Um, and she's a celebrity. She's a major celebrity. Absolutely. She's around the office. One day she had gotten a new chow puppy, which is now an adult chow, but she was she busted into our editorial meeting. She's like, look what I got. And she dropped the chow <laughs> on the middle of the table. We we're like, wow. Like she would just, maybe she'll come in and say something to you. Like you don't know. But wow. she was very good to me because she trusted me. And that was the best compliment I could have. Because when when I would go on the show, I'd been on many times and the producer would say, okay, well, this segment, you're going to talk about cold and flu remedies uh, with Terry. And she'd go, oh, Terry, okay. She'll walk me through it. It's fine. She would do no, like wow. she wouldn't do any prep. And then she would, she would then, I would walk her through the segment and she would change direction. And what's this over here? Like she would just do whatever she wants. I said the best media training was being in a segment with Martha because I've been interviewed by Matt Lauer back in the day, by Anne. Remember Anne from the Today yep. Show? All those guys. I got to do I a lot of Anne. No one was, was as hard to be interviewed by Ditto. than Ditto. Martha. Martha was the toughest. 
because she's not going to interview you. She's just going to move around. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. but the first time ever that I went on TV, my first national segment on the Martha Stewart show was in September. I had had my first cover story on the scientific benefits of giving. Uh, and who had just had a book come out about giving, but Bill Clinton. Oh, and oh, wow, so, wow. and it was the week of the UN, he was in town. And so they said, you're going to be on and you're going to be on with Bill Clinton. I was like, you are joking me. So I went on having, I'd done a little bit here, a little there. And I was like, this is probably the biggest night of my life right now. Uh, the biggest day. And so I went in, sat next to Martha across from Bill Clinton, and they said, please make sure to include the president in your conversation. I said, okay, I'll make sure I do that. <laughs> and it was like, and I, I had prepped within an inch of my life for that. And I, boom, boom, boom. I was like, this is it because, it, okay, fine. People were watching. They'll forget it the minute it goes off. But I knew the Martha Stewart people were watching and they were going to decide, is this backwater bitch from Boston going <laughs> to be someone who can hang with us? Can we put her out there or no? And once I passed that test, that's when I got to do all the other media because they were like, they trusted. So that was a huge opportunity. Those things you can't plan. Wow. And they come up and you take them and you do the very best you can and you hope that the right people see it and then you get to do other things. So that was a huge moment. I mean, I invited friends into town, have a big dinner. I was like, this is a huge night. I'm going to meet Bill Clinton and Martha on the same day. That's amazing. It was. Did you talk to the president at all other than the yeah, interview? Misha, or? I just remember looking up and the light was behind him. It was like looking at Jesus or something. Like he was like, he was like, <laughs> oh, it's nice to meet you. Like he like shook my hand. I was like, hi. Oh my God. It was crazy. And he paid me a very nice compliment. After the segment, he said, who was that? She was real good. I liked her. And even sent me um, a letter from the Clinton Foundation and said, you know, it was really wonderful. Love the work that you're doing. And I was just like, oh, my wow. God. I'm really, really good. didn't end up working for him. Just because. Mm. Just because I could see you're that type of a... Uh... They would snatch you up. Oh, my God. I don't know. That'd be amazing. No, that does that sound... Good idea. Be snatched up by Bill Clinton. I don't. Know. I was just wondering just, that, but I, was I wouldn't to see who was going to jump on that. And I'm glad it was Terry and not me. So thank you, Terry. No pun intended. <laughs> well, look, I didn't have any weird run. He was good to me, and so was she. So, but listen, back to the Martha thing. You won't hear a bad word about her from me because I think that people automatically that. put an unfair filter on her. They say, what was it like to work with Martha? Is she mean? Is she a bitch? I go, you know what? She acts like any man who ever ran any company. Yeah. But because she's a woman and because she knows how to bake, you think that she's supposed to be nice to you? That was never her job. She wow. never got paid to be nice. And so she was how she was. Right. She was tough as nails. She made people cry. Do men make people cry all the time? I don't excuse it. Right. But you're not going to hear from me that she wasn't a total badass. Absolutely. Hey, look, and then she get you get cookies after, so you can console yourself and your. You know. Listen, I will say this in her in her honor. I got laid off that magazine because they had to make cuts and whatever. That magazine closed anyway. Mm -hmm. I got a letter from her, a little note that said, "I want you to know I really appreciate everything you did." Aww. Like to get a note after Wonderful. you get laid off from Martha, she doesn't have to do that. And was it you know on a beautiful linen paper? And it was very nice paper. I, I <laughs> sure. wish I knew where it was, but yes, it was very I'm nice. Sure, it was. Yeah, that'd be listen. framed on my wall, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, probably exceptional, exceptional. Right next to Clinton, you got your Clinton letter. Your yes, yeah. <laughs> she was. It was typed by someone else. Do you I still think. have oh, it? Yes. It was written by an assistant, but it's wonderful. I'm so. sure I have it in my file. I have a Martha file. Um, but yeah, I. I was, I was glad that I worked there and I was also, it was time to go. It was time to go. I have no hard feelings about any of that. It was time. I've always been a Martha fan. My husband used to call me Martha fucking Stewart. <laughs>
<laughs> she's an icon. I'm what are you gonna say? She's such an icon. Hey, look, before before we go, I you know, you do so much, Terry. You're everywhere. Like I see your face everywhere. She's got a book, she's speaking, she's got summer camp, she's got, you know, you're you're like a I, I, somebody I think called you the other day, force of nature. And it's just stuck with me because you are, you, you're, you're a very powerful force in the, in the world and much needed right now. We need a lot of good energy and juju out there. And so what's next? What are we thinking about? What are what are you, what can we expect from Terry? Well, I have spent the past couple years experimenting with all kinds of different events, in-person retreats, virtual events, different topics. I've been exploring this and that, doing lots of different things. And it's enough now that I, I know that it's time to focus and to get real clear because, yeah, mm-hmm. I do a lot of things and not ever, it can be confusing, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing now is inviting people, yes, from summer camp and lots of other things to be part of a community that I'm growing, you know, that right now is called the club. And it is, it's a membership-based program. It's like the first month is free and then it's like 39 bucks a month and we meet live twice a month. There's tons of resources and audio prompts and different ways to, in my mind, what the goal of it is, is to connect people with resources and opportunities um, for contributing to meaningful conversations around finding and claiming creative agency in your life. Because mm-hmm. as you know, you guys are in a creative business, you're creative pros, but creativity is not unique to us. It is every human. Every human has a brain that naturally seeks solution. So in my mind, if we can make sure that we can look at all the different ways we can live our life and the many different ways we can share our work and do work, uh, I want people to feel free to continue to choose and build that. So I plan to launch something in the new year. I can't tell you what it is because I don't know yet, but I'm working with someone to help research that, to figure out what is the problem I could solve instead of being a sprinkler, be more of a fire hose and be more focused on one thing. So I am now starting to do that, do that narrowing thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's what I'm doing because I've been sort of shooting from the hip, trying lots of different things. I know who my people are and I know the kinds of things they want. It's time for me to deliver something a year after the book you know, mm-hmm. to do something yeah. probably based on the book. But I want that kind of growth first. That's what I'm looking to do. I, I love that you wonderful. don't, that you're always exploring. I love that you're, it's like never final with Terry. You never, know, like, but not with any of us, right? No. I mean, like, what is the point of anything? If you think you know the end to it, like some people like to read the last page of a book first. I don't, but oh. I like to not know. I think the fun is exploring what might come up. Absolutely. I love that. Well, so we awesome. appreciate you. Thank you. This has been oh, awesome. Nice. It's been so fun spending time with you. I loved this. Justin, Jamie, Karen. Vaughn, I love being part of the Vaughn. I love being part of the creative show. It's the it's it's you're standing in for Vaughn. That's right. I'm standing in for Vaughn. It was a pleasure, Vaughn. Thank you. You're fired. I'm now there you taking go. Place. No, just kidding. Fourth Thank member. you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. We love you. <laughs> Vaughn, you're fired officially. You're fired. It is now the Terry, Jamie, Justin, and Karen show.